All morning, I've been asking everybody if anybody has seen my phone. I know, I couldn't find it. And then, and then I look over and Ryan's grabbing, grabbing this thing here. And it's, it's right there. And I go, oh, my phone. Oh, how I have missed you. I'll lose it. I was really hoping it wasn't at home because my wife worked night shift at the hospital last night. And so it'd be like someone called me, would go off, then she'd get really mad at me. Why'd you leave your phone at home? I'd be like, I didn't even know where it was. So. That's how my, wife, my life normally goes. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called Uversion. You click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in the phone, and you'll get all the sermon notes and all those questions that go along with it as well. Also, in the bottom of the sermon notes, there's a little QR thing in the corner. And if you have a QR reader on your smartphone, you just scan that. It'll bring up a thing where you can sign up. For the agape dinners. In case you totally forget to go to the back, just sign, sign up today. What is he saying? That's what this is? What's up? Today, sign up today. <laughs> uh, I got two things to tell you about before we go on. The, the first one is this. Our Christmas for Kids, if you've been here any of the previous years, we do this thing called Christmas for Kids. We, we find families... Maybe you know them, you can introduce them to us. Uh, they can be families at Element, families outside of Element. It doesn't really matter. What we're looking for is people who fall through the cracks at Christmas. Uh, there are people who don't make enough money and they, and they get government assistance. There are people who, though, that sit right above that and they're barely making it, but they don't have, make so little that they get government assistance. And so they kind of sit here and they're just kind of in this limbo zone. And we want to help those people, those who really don't have enough to get gifts for their kids and things like that. So we do this thing called Christmas. Christmas for kids. We reach out to people in the community to try and help them. So if you want to be involved with Christmas for kids, you can take kids shopping. You can help make breakfast. You can take kids to lunch. You do all kinds of fun things. You can go around and ask people for donations, which nobody likes to do. Yeah, woo! Okay, if, that, if you love asking for donations, come and see me. I'll introduce you to Pam. She'll be very happy to meet you because... Everybody's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So if you want to do those, that'd be great. I was kind of funny. I was talking to a friend of mine. His name is Dan Pankratz. He and his brother own One Way Board Shop. And I was talking to him about this. And he goes, yeah, we're doing a thing like that. He goes, uh, you know, part of everything that people buy here is actually going to go into a fund that helps, you know, parents who can't afford Christmas gifts get their kids Christmas gifts. So awesome. Shop at One Way, apparently, so that you can help parents out as well. But uh, we're going to put a little basket thing in the back in the next couple of weeks. You can throw money in there to help these families. You'll get more more and more push about it. Hopefully, Pam, the lady who oversees it, will do announcements in the next couple of weeks. You'll hear, hear more about it. But it's kind of a cool thing that we do. It's kind of grown every single year we've done it. There's a lot of families that get touched and blessed. And if you are one of those families or you know one of those families, let us know. All right, let us know so that we can help you or them. The other thing I want to tell you about is that we, after the beginning of the year, are probably going to do three Sunday morning services. And we're trying to figure out if we're going to do an 815. <laughs> Just shoot me in the face right now. <laughs> or or at twelve thirty. So we're trying. Okay, okay. Would you go to an eight fifteen? Yeah. Let me see hands. Holy crap. You better show up at an eight fifteen. <laughs> because we tried this before and people are like, oh yeah, I totally go. Nobody came. It was like me and the band. 
I shouldn't tell you this, but we might even do the music a little bit different. It, you know, might, uh, sometimes it might just be Ryan on an acoustic, some, a broken down band a little bit. It'd be a little bit different kind of stuff, too. So, really? Okay. I'm stoked. I'm, stoked. I'm there. <laughs> Me and one person. <laughs> I will pull the pulpit over and be like, all right, let's talk about Jesus. That was a lot more people than I asked last time. Okay, so that's good. I'll, I'll ask next service and see if they're willing to, some of them go to a 12.30. But, you know, that's like lunch. And, man, lunch is important. We're Christians, you know. Why don't you stay on the to read God's Word? It's Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as your people and help us to understand how you have called us to reach out and embrace those around us in such a way that all those around us would come to the place of repentance. Father, we understand that you are the one who calls us as your people, but we as your people, are to reach out and be your hands and feet to everyone else. And so I ask that you would teach us to do that. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this short series before Christmas called The People of Hope. Uh, Things in our world look bad. California joblessness is over 11%. Governments are being destabilized around the world. Last week I said it was really scary. It makes me lose hope that the hottest man in Hollywood is Robert Pattinson. And then some... He sparkles. And then... God, boy... And then so someone said, well, who's the hottest woman in Hollywood? Well, I go, well, the hottest woman in Hollywood is Scarlett Johansson. I can't really make fun of that. So, <laughs> but I can make fun of Robert Pattinson. Let me just keep moving on. Our, things in our world can be a bit scary at times, but we are called to be a people who have a greater hope. I've been trying to get you guys to memorize Romans 12, 12. Anybody? Oh, what version? <laughs> NIV over here. We got... Constant in prayer. There you go. Put it up here. Okay? Memorize this. You only got one more week to memorize this. Get it. Rejoice in hope. Be patient tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I guarantee you when you're down in the depths in your life, at some point this scripture will pop back into your head and you'll be like, God longs to see me through all these things. Paul actually says in Romans 12 that this is what a people of God are supposed to look like. Unfortunately, it's not how people who call themselves Christians usually live their life because it's hard to trust God. It's hard to always be a people of hope. So we have been giving you portraits of people who have hoped throughout the scriptures. Today's going to be a little bit different in this, and I hope you don't misunderstand when I talked about things we're going to talk about uh, this morning. One of the worst feelings in the world is feeling unwanted or alone. When my wife and I first got married, we got we were married in California. I grew up here, and we got married, and I was offered a job in Iowa. So we were married three months. My wife and I moved to Iowa. Let me. This is Iowa. Okay, it's like hell, Iowa. <laughs> Maybe not in that order. I'm not too sure. Right? We we move from California. We get there. It is 40 below the day we get there. We got a brand new puppy. Our puppy's like, I'm just gonna pee on the carpet. Right. It, <laughs> It does not want to go outside. It is, uh, Iowa. If you're from Iowa, sorry for you. But we, we, couldn't, we, we couldn't have... I will not apologize for what I say. I'm just for that you came from there. Uh, 
we, my wife and I were there. We didn't have any friends. We didn't find a church to connect to. We felt all alone. I mean, we really tried to find some people to reach out to, but no one kind of reached out to us. We didn't find any friends. And so the whole time we were there, we just felt kind of unwanted and alone. And there are a few pains in life, like being rejected or excluded or left out, maybe the last person picked for a team. This can make you feel very hopeless. My wife and I actually started to feel that way. On the other side, there are a few joys in life, like being wanted or chosen or accepted. Most people, we want to be included. We want to feel like we're part of something. This is one of the reasons why Element offers you gospel communities, and we talk about it almost every single week. But our other problem with being human and being sinful is that we don't just want to be part of any group. We want to be part of a group that we think is better than every other group that's out there, or at least we perceive it to be. Every society has people in it that feel left out, don't get chosen at recess, voted off the island, you are the weakest link, goodbye, that kind of thing. It reminds me of an airplane. In an airplane, you have first class and coach. Well, now they have business class, but first class and coach, I call coach steerage. Because that's, you know what steerage is? It's where they used to, in the old ships, having the money you would ride in the bottom in steerage where they keep the animals. That's coach, okay? That's, that, that's steerage. Uh, my wife and I have flown first class once, and, it's, and we didn't pay for it. We got bumped off our flight, and so they put us in first class on the next one. Uh, this is what first class is like. First class, you get like gourmet food. I was totally blown away. And coach, if you get food, it's crap. Literally, that, that's what they make you and serve it to you in a tray. And in first class, I'm sitting there, and they drop this, this warm, moist towel in front of me. And me, never riding in first class, what I do, I drop my tray table, and I start cleaning my tray table with it. <laughs> Because I think, well, that's what you're supposed to do. My wife goes, it's to wipe off your face from your sweat. And I'm like, am I sweating? She's all, no. But so in coach, you get sweat. First class, you get this nice little rag. And in first class, you get legroom. In coach, you get cramps. And in first class, you get glass dishes and silverware. And in coach, you get these plastic things and these very demasculating little fork and knife thing that, that break and kind of stay in your food. And then they closed this, they used to close this curtain to where you have first class and and everything else. It kind of reminded me of the temple in the Old Testament. Because what you'd have, you have the court of the Gentiles, this is where everybody could come. Then you had each inner place that was a little smaller. Then you had the Holy of Holies divided by a curtain where the high priest went once a year. It was this differentiation of space. You had, you know, sacred, more sacred, more sacred, holy, more holy, more holy, holiest curtain, you know, where the high priest goes once a year. And what is very interesting is that where it started with the court of the Gentiles and ended with the Holy of Holies, it was meant to be a thing that reflected the holiness and the greatness and the goodness of who God was. But what happened was that the Jews started to take and separate people and say, you are coach and we are first class and the curtain goes up. See, our human condition of sin makes us want to exclude and separate people around us. A curtain goes up and it says there are those who are first class and those who aren't. And you don't violate that boundary. I mean, today, they don't get to put that curtain up anymore because it violates security restrictions. But if someone comes on the intercom and they tell you, your coach, stay in your section. It's like first class, one bathroom for 12 people. Coach, it's like two bathrooms for 300. And it's not really that fun when you got to go. Our sin makes us want to separate us from other people. That's what sin does. Separates us from other people and separates us from God. We live our lives like walking airplanes, and Jesus intends for us to be one body. Differences in people go back to Adam and Eve. Differences are good things. They can enrich our community and our uniqueness. But we also use them as a source of rejection when we feel superior to somebody else because they aren't like us or don't necessarily follow the same things that we do. The ultimate evil for this expresses itself of an ethnic cleansing when we think someone who is other than us is not as clean as us and they need to be removed. 
If you are a person who is always seeking to be in an inner type of group, once you actually reach that inner group, then you realize there are more inner rings inside that group. It's kind of like junior high going to high school. Junior high, it's like, if I can just get to high school, I will make it. And you make it to high school and realize there's all these groups. There's jocks and goss and nerds and geeks, which are different things, apparently. And there's drama kids and band kids and, and all of these different things. The desire to gain status by being part of a group is dangerous. It is dangerous because you will compare yourself to others. You'll feel bad when you're not accepted. You'll become angry. You may even begin to compromise to be part of a group. You'll say things you don't believe or do things you know you shouldn't do, sometimes even claiming that you enjoy it. But those inner groups that you want to be a part of can never bring permanent change because only Jesus does that for our lives. Groucho Marx said this once. He said, I would never join a club whose standards are so low that they would let me become a member. (laughs) Sounds good to me. All of this actually destroys hope because we let other people be our source of hope and not Jesus. And Jesus must be our source of hope. If you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 21 is where we're going to be at today. You see, Jesus' disciples always wrestled with this idea of who was in and who was out because they had this idea that they were first class, they were Jews, they were God's blessed and chosen people, and everybody else was steerage. I mean, even go through the scriptures, and at one point, James and John, who spend you know, all this time with Jesus, look at Jesus, and they go, hey, can we be the greatest? Can I sit on your right and my brother sit on your left? Well, actually, they had their mom ask it because they didn't have enough guts to ask it themselves. They had their mom ask it. I think Jesus gets totally frustrated because he's constantly trying trying to get them to understand that God's kingdom is about welcoming people. That's what God's kingdom is about. Glory of God, welcoming people, lifting up Jesus. That's what it is. So we're going to cover this section of scripture. I get a lot of questions about this, so I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to talk to you about exclusivity and inclusivity, and I'm going to help explain this section of scripture that everybody asks me about, so that way I don't have to answer it anymore. In this section, it seems like Jesus is destroying hope by rejecting someone, but he is actually doing the exact opposite. He's trying to teach us how not to be exclusive. Matthew 15, 21, we're going to read the whole section. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch, right? She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, this is kind of perplexing, right? You you see this text, Jesus seems almost mean. I thought Jesus causes people to love others, to welcome them and give hope. Trust me, that is actually what Jesus is doing. This is about God's desire for his people to exclude no one. It's part of hope. Ken Bailey, writing about this section, he says, Jesus is given a test for two sets of people. He's testing the disciples, and he's testing the woman. So give you some background on this. Uh, the, where this one from in the scriptures is from a section, a, a place that's far north of Jewish territory. For you and I, this would be like Canada. It's like land of heathens and mooses. It's Canada. A. Eh? All right. So Tyre, Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities. They're located on the Mediterranean coast. Here's a map. Here. Ta-da. Okay. You see them up there on the top? Right there. Okay, so so, the, so they're up on top. Uh, when Jesus' public ministry is probably one of the farthest places he actually ever traveled, but Jews despised these people. Uh, the Roman slash Jewish historian Josephus says the people of Tyre are our bitterest enemy. 
So this woman, she's regarded as being spiritually degraded. She is disregarded. In Greek, it's very poignant in verse 22 when it says, and behold, it's like, look at this. This doesn't normally happen. Happens all the time in Jesus' ministry, though, crazy things. And behold, here it is, a Canaanite woman. It points how extraordinary this is. In Mark 7.26, he calls the woman a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. Matthew actually adds the term Canaanite, which shows that even in relating the story, he cannot forget her ancestry. She comes like a beggar to Jesus. Have mercy on me. She adds the word, O Lord and Son of David, meaning she knows about Judaism. She was probably one of the people who went to the court of the Gentiles, who was in coach and watched all the Jews go into first class. She probably stood out there and knew this, but she knows the promises of the Scriptures that a Son of David would come and bring hope and healing to the world. She is deeply respectful. She crosses some boundary lines that didn't get crossed in those days. And yet Jesus acts like he doesn't hear her. The woman has a suffering daughter, and Jesus responds with indifference and silence and rejection. Kind of looks like he's destroying her hope. Now, is that the Jesus you know? No, the answer to that is no, in case you didn't know. And what you have to notice is that Matthew doesn't hide this. He points it out. He draws attention to the fact because he knows how it ends. But he wants us to wrestle with what's going on in the text with what Jesus is up to. Now, the woman could just walk away. She's got to forget this. But she stays because I think she has hope in Jesus. Now, the disciples, they're not surprised at how Jesus treats the woman. Any rabbi would treat a woman, especially from this area, this way. There's even a rabbinic saying at the time that went like this. He that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna. You know what Gehenna is? Hell! Hell! How nice. Great rabbis. Yes, they're, they're so wonderful. So Jesus ignores her and watches what his disciples are going to do. Do, they, do you think they get it? Do they actually get him? Do they understand him? Which makes us ask, do we really understand him? Do we really understand what Jesus calls us to be as his people and how we are supposed to be welcoming because our great God welcomed us? See, his disciples respond very strongly, thinking they have Jesus' approval because it's what the first class in crowd would actually do. Verse 23, his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. I think that's a really funny line because she wasn't crying out after them. She was crying out after Jesus. And they're like, no, no, we're in Jesus' circle. So uh, she's crying out after us. So Jesus, can you send her away? The disciples erect a wall. They, they close this curtain between first class and, and coach. Years ago, Robert Frost wrote this poem called The Mending Wall. A farmer comes out in the spring and he walks his property line with his neighbor. And every year as they walk the property line, they find the same thing. There's a wall there and the wall's broken down. It could be wind, could be weather, but it's a mystery. Every year they rebuild this wall that separates them and every year it falls down. Now one of the farmers says he likes walls. He says, good fences make good neighbors. And the, but the other farmer says, if I could put a notion in his head, why do they make good neighbors? He's like, I can understand if, if there were cows, you kind of fence them in so they can't get out. He says, isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. So before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. Do you know from the moon, the only man-made object you can see is the Great Wall of China? A wall. See, we close curtains and we build walls and, and we destroy hope in our lives all the time. Brothers and sisters do this to each other when they get angry at each other about things. Husbands and wives do this all the time. You have offended me, that's it. Boom, the wall goes up and, and, and we're done. Workers and bosses do this to each other. Different cultures, different church denominations do this. Even within churches, different ministries do this to each other. Well, our ministry is better than yours and so you, you're terrible and we're great. And boom, the wall goes up and it wants to divide people rather than coming together. And here, a wall goes up between a desperate Gentile woman and 12 disciples. 
But you've got to love Jesus because Jesus is like the poem, and he doesn't love a wall, and, and he wants it down. One of God's most misunderstood characteristics is his desire for his people to include everyone in his community. See, the Old Testament law, it had great principles for how people were to live their lives. But the Jews started to take them and use those to exclude other people. They turned something good into sin. And so Jesus comes and replaces it with, you're all terrible, you're awful, and God is good. And that's the end of it. And he loves you. See, if you desire to be part of like some type of exclusive inner group, you're never going to be satisfied because you're always going to be looking for something more. This is why God calls us as a people to simply be loving and open arms to all people. This is so when people go, well, I don't want to be part of your group. Doesn't matter. You're part of my group anyway. Woo! We can't be in mine. You're in mine. It's awesome. It, it's, it's kind of like it's supposed to make your heart grow bigger like the Grinch at hey, Merry Christmas, right? Grinch at Christmas, his heart grows. Our heart is supposed to grow like that. So it beats in time with God's heart and we understand what he calls us to. Jesus says to the disciples... And, and I think he does this with his back to the woman. Imagine you're the disciples and I'm Jesus. I mean, not really, right? But, you know, you're the disciples. I'm Jesus. Right, right. Okay, and the woman's like back here. And so he's doing this. So he's making them kind of look at her while he's talking to them. And this is what he says in verse 24. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you're looking at this. You're thinking, send her away. Yeah, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's looking at the disciples, where they got to look at this woman. You know, why does Jesus say this? Because he's clear later that he comes to die for all people. Why does he say he's not going to respond when he actually does respond later? Because Jesus is teaching. He's testing. This is how rabbis taught. Great teachers didn't just hand out information. They tried to get people to understand things. Jesus talked to his disciples about their attitude in the past. He's like, look, you guys aren't getting it. I told you, let the little children come to me, but you wanted to keep them away. And now here's this woman, so he needs a different approach. It's kind of like uh, karate. In karate, you got different belts. you got white belt, and you got red belts, and yellow belts, and brown belts, and black belts, and I don't know, other belts, whatever you got in there. Black belt's like the Bruce Lee belt. I will break you with my pinky. That, that's the Bruce Lee belt, and the whites are novices. It, it's kind of like if you go surfing or, or snowboarding. Uh, you, you have the novices, and a lot of people hate them. A, fr- a friend of mine and I, uh, years ago, we're going out to Rincon Point, and we get out of his car, grab our surfboards, we're walking down, and we get accosted by like these big dudes who are like, you guys aren't going to surf here, you've never been here, you're new. We're like, because they're big, we're like, okay. you know. <laughs> but they, they assume something about us. It's, this is our exclusive part. This is our exclusive group. This is what the disciples do. They look and they say, you are a white belt. We're the black belts. You don't get to be in our area. And so what Jesus does, he appears to agree. He's like, yeah, send her away. I'm sent to Israel, God's favorites. We've no time for Gentile females. Good call, guys. That's Jesus in sarcasm, in case you didn't know, by the way. I think Jesus watches his disciples, see how they're going to respond. Do they get it? Do they understand what he's doing? No, they don't. They're like, yeah, send her away. Good idea. That, that's what they think. Now, how does the woman respond? Does she truly hope and trust in Jesus when she doesn't understand what he's actually doing? Do we hope and trust in Jesus when we don't understand what's going on? And she hears all that's said. You're an outcast. You're not Jesus' mission. Why should Jesus help you? Is her concern for her child deep enough? Is her hope in Jesus and compassion great enough? And she says one phrase in verse 25. She kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. She doesn't understand what's going on, but she calls him Lord. That's amazing. The disciples see this. Their theology says she should be shunned. She's got to be rejected and ignored. I think something in them has to be moved. 
I would think maybe that, that God becomes a little bigger than, than their dogma that they, that they believe. I think, I would like to get to this place, this is where seed gets planted in Peter, where, where decades later Peter is talking to some Gentiles because God made him go and do it, and these Gentiles believe and God's Spirit comes upon them, and they are saved. And Peter's like, who knew? You know, in, in Acts 10, 34 and 35, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. I mean, it only took Peter a couple decades to get there. No one ever said he was quick, all right? But, but he gets there and understands this. Sociologists distinguish between two types of connections. The first one is called bonding. Bonding is similar. People perceive themselves as similar, and they develop deeper connections because of that similarness, if that's a word. This could be the same ethnic group or same economic status. This is how people typically want to do gospel communities or small groups. They say, oh, you know, we're we're the same. Let's all get together and hang out together because we're all alike. The other way is called bridging. And bridging steps across divides. It looks outward to encompass people across great social divides. And you know what? This is how God does gospel community. God is the greatest bridger the world has ever seen. Jesus steps out of heaven as God into the flesh of man. He comes to us as our great God. And Merry Christmas. And when the early church understood his heart, they became a community like the world has never seen. I've had people ask me, you guys push gospel communities so strongly here. What if everybody at Element was in a gospel community? I'd be like, yay! You know, but, but they go, how do you keep them from becoming cliques then? How? They understand Jesus. They understand the gospel. When you understand the gospel, you realize that God welcomed us as sinners into his family. And we're to be the most welcoming people on the planet. But we are supposed to reflect how our God loves people. But see, here in this story, the disciples don't get it at all. So Jesus speaks again. And, and I think he still doesn't turn around. I think he's still looking at his disciples. I think the woman's still sitting there. And you've got to picture the next line. It is harder and deeper and stronger. Still looking, watching the disciples' faces in verse 26 after she says, Help me. Jesus says, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Imagine that. Okay? You're the disciples. I'm Jesus. Long hair, robe, whatever. Okay? It is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It makes you kind of go, ooh, I don't know if you need to go that far. You know, that was, ooh, that, that, was, that was brutal. See, the children are who? Israel, okay? The dogs are us, right, us, and this woman. Okay, that, that's, that's who the dogs are. And so dogs were despised animals in the Middle East, just like pigs at that time. So Jesus forces the disciples to face themselves. You want me to get rid of her? You want me to limit my ministry to Israel? Okay, but before I do, look at her. Hear her child's screams. What are you going to do with that? What Jesus does is he gives voice to their theology. Because it's one thing to have contempt in your own mind and say things behind people's back, but it's another thing to hear ugly thoughts spoken out loud in front of a real person. And many times, I wonder if our thoughts were spoken of out loud and how we treat people and how we view things, what they would actually sound like. I mean, does anybody speak up for this woman? No. No. I mean, there are moments the disciples did much better. They're growing. They're learning. I mean, through the grace and power of God, the entire world becomes changed by, by what he did through these men. But sometimes we ask, why does it take them so long to learn this? Yeah, why does it take us so long to learn this? Why? Why does it do that? Miroslav Volf, who is not someone I recommend you read because I don't like a lot of the stuff he says, but he, a couple good things, and I'm going to read you like the one that he says. <laughs> he says, Jesus names as sin what so often passes as virtue, especially among religious circles. 
See, the religious leaders, they didn't associate it with people who they believed had lower standards than they did because they believed that showed their devotion to God. The more spiritual you were, the less people you could hang out with. People were excluded by ethnicity. So, oh, you're a Gentile, you can't hang out with us. They were uh, by gender. Oh, you're a woman, you can't hang out with us. By physical problems, oh, leprosy, oh, you can't hang out with us. Certain jobs, pigeon keepers. I don't know what they got against birds, but pigeon keepers, uh, dung collectors. If they wash their hands, I don't mind, you know, clean up. Tax collectors. They're like, yeah, I get that. No, but tax collectors too, right? In there. They thought this was being righteous by shunning them. And yet Jesus is sinless and he is righteous and he embraced all of these outcasts. What you have to understand is Jesus did not condone their sin by welcoming them. Okay, Jesus always calls us to grow out of our sin, to follow Him, to repent before Him. It is not condoning sin, but is clarifying unfair labels. Jesus speaks to the outcasts. He touched them. He loves them. He ate with them. Volf says this, By embracing the outcasts, Jesus underscored the sinfulness of the persons and systems that cast them out. When we follow Jesus, we become welcoming like he was because he welcomed us into his family. Now, how do you think we'd be doing with this? How? Everybody thinks, well, I'd be doing okay. I'm pretty good at stuff like that. Really? Okay. Well, what if you're a Republican and the other person's a Democrat? Or what if you're a Democrat and the other person's a Republican? What if uh, you didn't vote for Obama and they did? What if they did and you know, somebody else didn't? And what's that look at? What if uh, you're a meat eater and you run into a vegan? What if you're a vegan? You look at meat eaters and you're like, oh, they eat things with faces. I can't, I don't like them. You know, what, what's up with that? Uh, what if someone from Al Qaeda shows up? You know, what is it? Because we all seem to have something that sits inside of us that makes us in our own mind better than somebody else. Well, I do this and I don't do that, therefore I'm better than you. We all have these things that separate us from each other. Where are we not displaying the hope that God intends for our lives to be about? When was the last time you didn't associate with someone? When was the last time you noticed someone was left out and actually went after them and spoke with them? See, in the story, Jesus uses this language to make the disciples face themselves. I think it's got to be the hardest thing in the world for the woman because she knows she's, she's like the object lesson, right? She, she, she's being used to teach them something. And is she going to insult Jesus back? Is she going to give up? I mean, there are people that have been enemies for so long. She'd be like, where do you get off? And just get up and, and walk out. Does she really trust and hope in Jesus? In verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, did even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table? Now, in the Greek, there's a little wordplay here. When Jesus uses the words for dogs, he doesn't use the worst form of dog. He uses a term that's like, you know, little doggy, puppy, chihuahua, you know, yo quiero Taco Bell, that, you know, that, that little thing right there. And so when she responds, she responds with the word for little crumbs. It's like, it's like yeah, you know what, uh, I may be a little doggy, but all I need is a little crumb, and, and I'm okay. She responds with wit and grace and a little bit of grit, a little bit of sarcasm back herself, a little playfulness. I mean, she's got attitude. She's like, you are my Lord and Master. I'm not going anywhere. You feed your kids, but I know you got a crumb that's going to fall at the table for me. I mean, it really is an amazing thing that she says. See, everyone's going to face the choice between hope and despair. And Jesus says, you can have hope because you can trust me. When you trust in me, there is hope. And so the question for us, if we're like the woman, is do you keep going even when you don't know why? When you can't get answers to your pain, do you still say, my Lord, like the woman does, even though things aren't clear to you? Will you go with grit and grace and live the hope that God will set all things right? Because he does. Will you trust God to be good enough? This idea that God calls his people to perseverance is all throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, you've got a guy named Jacob. He wrestles with God. He doesn't give up, even injured, and God blesses him. I think God prizes that. This, I will not give up, this, this hope 
because I think that becomes infectious to other people. God wants his people, people to be those with greatness of soul, a people who endure, who refuse to quit, who cling to goodness and hope. Jesus' disciples, I think they got to see this woman and got to have their jaws dropped by what take place here. Because when this woman came, they saw, the disciples saw her as their inferior. That she could teach them anything would not have occurred to them in their wildest imagination. But she does teach them something. I mean, she is literally their master in every respect. She's a black belt, they're the white belts. So the irony of exclusion makes you think that you're doing a favor when you talk to someone. Oh, I'm better than you, so I will talk to you. But when we, we exclude, we are the farthest from what God calls his people to be. Because we don't just hurt others, we actually damage our own soul. I will tell you this, the only ones that excluders can keep from the kingdom of God and God's community and true hope is themselves. Is themselves. I love at the end of this whole story, I think Jesus' mask comes off. I think he looks at the woman, I think the woman sees his eyes and knows that he loves her. It says, Jesus answered her, verse 28, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In Greek, that the O woman, this is like a term of endearment. It's not like, O woman, what are you doing? It's, it's, it's like this, this loving term of O woman. Jesus' heart is full. And he says, your faith is great. Great is your faith. The word great is where we get our word mega from, like, like mega store or mega mall, or if you're into video games, mega man. You know, it's mega. It's like great and big. Jesus constantly says to the disciples, you have little faith. And yet he says to this woman, the one they thought was their enemy, the one they thought was their inferior, she is given the greatest command, that, the greatest commendation that Jesus offered anybody in Scripture. Oh, you of great faith. Great is your faith. Again, see, they are the white belts, and she is the black belt. She kicked their butt anytime she'd be like, whoa. It's my kung fu. That's all I got. Right. And I think this happens because she knows what they don't. And that is the most hope-filled place in the universe is the humblest and the least exclusive. God's family that he calls all of us to reach out to others with. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are determined that his people are to live in such a way that people know his grace and love by the way his children live their lives. And God's kingdom is not full yet. He's calling people even today. And we are to be those who show people what the call looks like. God does call his children. He goes after them, but he calls you and I to be those who reach out and show people that. He does that through us, which is an amazing thing, that God would deem to use us as his people to reach out to those around you. So ask yourself this question. How are you living as the kingdom of God to those people around you, to those you deem not as good as you, to those you deem less than you? How are you living in such a way that you are showing the welcomingness of the kingdom of God? Then how can you go out and then simply live that in your life so that better, more people understand the hope and the grace that God gives his people? Because it's not about God and Jesus working for us. We live for him, and that brings great hope to everybody. This is one of the reasons why we come to communion every single week. Because communion is where you break that cracker that reminds us of Christ's blood that, or Christ's body that was shed for us. You dip in the wine of the grape juice and remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be this people who live in the kingdom of God, who are called home and have hope and can offer that hope to everyone around us. I mean, communion is a place that we remember humbleness and the great grace and glory of our God who called us into his family. The band's going to come up. 
do a couple songs, and as they do, we do invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe if you feel like you've been excluded and locked out and lost, go and pray with them. Maybe you are someone who lives your life and just excludes everybody else around you because you think you're so awesome. You're not, all right? <laughs> just in case you didn't know. Maybe God needs to bring some humbleness to you. Go and pray with them. They, they'd love to pray with you about that. They're offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. And we give simply because God gave so much to us and giving is part of our worship. And so we give that opportunity every single week. There are, there's some food and stuff in the back. You can grab some food, grab some coffee, uh, get to know some other people. Most importantly, we would encourage all of you guys to sign up for one of the Agape uh, meals at, at somebody's house. It doesn't mean you have to go to that GC or anything like that, but we'd like you all to get a taste of it and see what it's like. Uh, currently, I say currently because uh, it may grow, but right now uh, the, one, the one that my wife and I are doing, I think we have like uh, 26 people and 11 children. <laughs> it's going to be, Yeah! Put away all the stuff that's valuable because the kids are going to come and you know, take it. But uh, you, you guys should get, get one. It's, it, they're going to be a blast. We're hopefully going to reflect more of what the early church did in their type of communion, in their love feast that they did. You should all sign up for one. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, God loves you more than you ever imagined. He has welcomed us. We then should be the most welcoming people on the planet. So let's begin to live that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a God who has called us your children and called us home. I ask that you would show us the places in our lives where we try and differentiate ourselves or make ourselves better than other people because of some type of work that we have done. Because the only thing that makes us any different than others is you and your great grace working in and through us. And that should make us more humble than anybody else on this planet. So Father, I ask that you would teach us to live as those humble people who welcome others, who don't condone sin as you didn't, but also don't make people out to be less than they are because of what they've been through or what they've done. Father, take us and renew us so that we would live lives that better reflect your love and your grace that we would understand that you are a great God who, who sits on your throne and that all glory and honor belongs to who you are and that we would properly understand that so that the humbleness of our lives would be shown because you are the one who gains all glory. We thank you for loving your children, for coming to save us, for calling us home. Teach us to truly trust you in that. And teach us to truly live and welcome like you do. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.